LegalizeFreedom.com Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guest today is Michael Cremo, who joins us to discuss the Silurian Hypothesis and the Hidden History of life on Earth. The Silurian hypothesis assesses modern science's ability to detect evidence of a prior advanced civilization, perhaps several million years ago. The name Silurian derives from the BBC science fiction series Doctor Who, which in 1970s Doctor Who and the Silurians posited an advanced civilization prior to humanity. Astrophysicists Adam Frank and Gavin Schmidt proposed the Silurian hypothesis in a 2018 paper exploring the possibility of detecting an advanced civilization before humans in the geological record. They argued that there has been sufficient fossil carbon to fuel an industrial civilization since the Carboniferous period 350 million years ago. However, finding direct evidence such as technological artifacts is unlikely due to the rarity of fossilization and Earth's exposed surface. Instead, researchers might find indirect evidence such as climate changes, anomalies in sediment, or traces of nuclear waste. The hypothesis also speculates that artifacts from past civilizations could be found on the Moon and Mars, where erosion and tectonic activity are less likely to erase evidence. Also, as detailed in Michael Cremo's research, there is archaeological evidence showing that humans existed in these distant times. The origin and evolution of our species may be very different from that which we are led to believe. Hello and welcome, Michael, and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Good to be with you and all your listeners. Michael, I say joining me again, it's been a long time, a full decade ago, that uh, you joined me to speak about human devolution and forbidden archaeology. There'll be a link to that interview um, up on the page for this. Uh, if listeners want to check that out, I've not listened back to that interview. It'd be interesting to do so. But before we dive into today's talk, uh, just give listeners a little bit of uh, background on yourself, you know, uh, your your background, your work in general. Well, I'm most well known for my book, Forbidden Archaeology, which deals with archaeological evidence for extreme human antiquity. Most scientists today would say humans like us first came uh, into existence on this planet less than 300,000 years ago. So I've actually looked into the history of archaeology, and I've found that there have been many discoveries by archaeologists, geologists, and others who dig into the earth, showing that our species has been on this planet for far longer periods of time going back millions of years in some cases. So 
the reason I got into that whole topic was my acquaintance with the writings of the Vedic tradition in India. Uh, there's a category of literature called the Puranas, which are the histories and cosmological writings of the Vedic culture. And they speak of a very ancient human presence on this planet, going back very far in time. And it's something that's found in many ancient wisdom traditions, going from the Bible to uh, many other traditions as well. You know, the idea that humans have been around since the very beginning, really. So that's what I've dedicated my writing career to, exploring these topics related to human origins and antiquity. So that's that's a brief introduction to what I do. Well, of course, in history and in mythology in particular, and as you say, in, in uh, wisdom and spiritual traditions, we have concepts about um, the deluge, for example, you know, and uh, the great flood, the flood myths all over the world, and that there was some kind of civilization prior to that, and potentially an advanced one. We see this in the stories about Atlantis and other similar concepts. We think about uh, the, you know, the Ice Age and what human civilization might have been like prior to that. There's some overlap with the concepts of Atlantis around that. But the sort of deep time that you've probed into in your work, I think is really almost too much for some people's intellect to cope with. Just the sheer scales that we're talking about, it reminds me a little bit when people think about cosmos, space in terms of the size of objects and the distances involved. It's just mind-bending, really. And we're talking about, in the title of the uh, talk, The Silurian Hypothesis, we're talking about the Silurian time period, you know, a deep historical time period. And But that in itself began almost 444 million years ago, lasted 246 million years in itself just that alone i think is just as a too much for some people to cope with conceptually but there it is you know and uh, you'll get us into this the silurian hypothesis and it goes way beyond any ideas um that the atlantis story might have stemmed from you're talking about the potential for some kind of technologically advanced civilization hundreds of millions of years ago that's what this hypothesis sets out um as i understand it this is drawn from the work of Adam Frank and Gavin Schmidt, the kind of thought of thought experiment. But the overlap with that in your work is that, well, let's could we potentially look for um, evidence? You know, what what would tell us something about the possibility, that, you know, the potential existence of such a civilization? Where would we look, and what would we be looking for? So maybe give us an overview of the hypothesis itself. Right. Well, you're exactly right, Greg. Uh, that. The time periods I'm talking about are way beyond what even people interested in alternative archaeology and things of that sort are prepared to accept. What to speak of the mainstream academic and scientific community, uh, as, as I said, they think humans or any type of advanced beings with the intelligence to make a, a, a technological civilization have only been around for 
at most 300,000 years. And as far as anything resembling civilization, they would say that's a product of the last 10,000 years or something. So I found it very interesting that there are some modern scientists who are willing to consider, at least as a thought experiment, the idea that uh, some type of advanced technological civilization existed on this planet hundreds of millions of years ago. Gavin Schmidt and uh, Adam Frank are both astrophysicists, and uh, Gavin Schmidt is particularly interested in climatology. And they were interested in climate change, the effects of global warming on our planet. And they thought, well, why, why don't we look at exoplanets, planets outside our solar system, in the last decade or so, with uh, the advanced uh, space telescopes that have been launched, uh, astrophysicists have been able to identify thousands of planets circling stars and other solar systems and other parts of our galaxy. And they wondered, Schmidt and Frank wondered, well, what if we examine the atmospheres of these planets? And maybe we might be able to detect uh, excess amounts of carbon or other gases that may have resulted in uh, global warming from the effects of a technological civilization on these other planets. So they started doing that uh, using spectrometry, they can analyze the contents of the atmospheres of these exoplanets. But then Gavin Schmidt wondered, well, why are we necessarily looking for such evidence on these exoplanets? Why not look at our own planet? What if... Uh, Millions of years ago, there was an advanced technological civilization here that produced, you know, these global warming gases, and maybe we could learn something from, from that. So he picked the Silurian period. Now, I think that's because he's English and... He was familiar with the science fiction series Doctor Who that was air that's been airing in England on and off on the BBC for decades. And some of the initial episodes were about Doctor Who, who was working you know, it's a fictional character, of course, working to solve different problems that came up. And in the series during the 1970s, there were, there were some episodes dealing with scientists at a research station disturbing some humanoid reptilians who had 
been in suspended animation in some caves deep in the earth. And they were disturbed by the activities of this scientific research station and awakened and came up. So Doctor Who had to deal with them. And they had been in suspended animation since the Silurian period, which you nicely outlined, goes back way over 400 million years. So uh, Schmidt and Frank called their hypothesis that there may have been an advanced technological civilization on this planet uh, hundreds of millions of years ago, they called it the Silurian hypothesis. And they analyzed, well, if there was such a civilization, what signs of it would we see today? And we could discuss that because that definitely relates to my forbidden archaeology work. So I just found it fascinating that although the mainstream scientific community is presently very much uh, dedicated to this idea that humans or some types of intelligent beings capable of a technological civilization came about only recently, that at least as a thought experiment, they're, they're considering the existence of such beings and possible civilization so far back in time as the Silurian, even. Well, like a lot of young boys, when I was little, I had a fascination um, with the distant past, and in particular dinosaurs. Um, that fascination actually is very widespread and in itself, I think, is very interesting. And it doesn't, you know, girls are not so interested. I don't know if if um you know psychologists could child psychologists could explain that in some simple way but uh, in any event i read a lot about dinosaurs and about the prehistoric time periods when i was young and one i had to go back over some material to remind myself of this but during the silurian was the transition when terrestrial life really became established as to say no longer just all based in the oceans and but also there was a, a, a the, the first of the major extinction events took place during that time when 85% of um, aquatic species disappeared. But again, it was such a long period of time, as I said, 24.6 million years. There's plenty of room for events like that. But it, it was momentous in any way you look at it um, in terms of life on Earth. Yeah, you're right. When I was young, I like many other young people, was fascinated by dinosaurs. I had nightmares about them sometimes. But uh, uh, actually, during the Silurian period, uh, the life forms on land were mostly amphibians. I think the reptiles hadn't really come into existence yet, according to the standard paleontological views. But uh, I, I guess, you know, it's, you know, sometimes people ask, could humans have existed at the time of the dinosaurs? And I think it's possible for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, 
And this gets us beyond the stones and bones and fossils and things like that. This is a question of consciousness. You know, I mean, the, the standard idea today is that consciousness is something that is produced by chemicals interacting in the brain, in the neurons. Uh, but nobody has really come up with a causal explanation of exactly how you get consciousness out of neurons. It's an ongoing project in the world of science. Um, but to me, consciousness suggests that we exists not in a, a matter-based universe, but a consciousness-based universe. And I think the universe or cosmos has a purpose, which is to allow the conscious self to understand its real identity apart from matter. So if that is the purpose, it's best realized in the human form of life, and therefore, I think the human form of life should always have been available to conscious selves on this level of reality. And that is one of the reasons why I think that we should expect to find evidence for a human presence going very, very far back in time, back to the very beginnings of the history of this planet. So... Uh, the so that would mean humans have existed before the time of the dinosaurs, during the time of the dinosaurs, and after the time of the dinosaurs, of course. Now, I also accept that the conscious self, although it can exist in the human form, the human bodily vehicle, it can also exist in other kinds of bodily vehicles, including the bodily vehicle of creatures that we call dinosaurs. But the body of a dinosaur or any other plant or animal is not the bodily vehicle that will allow a conscious self to understand its position, its nature, apart from matter, that it has its own identity apart from whatever bodily vehicle it's occupying. It really belongs in a world free from the contact of matter a world of, of pure consciousness. Yeah, in the dinosaurs I see mirrored, from what we know, what I've read, uh, you know, the animal kingdom that is, you know, extant on the earth today. So you have slow-moving, dim-witted herbivores, cows and sheep in the dinosaur world, and you have fast, aggressive carnivores, you know, lions and tigers, etc., in, in the in the dinosaur world as well, so it seems to, to mirror that fairly closely. You know, that, that, but a lot, overall, a lower level of consciousness, that a somewhat higher level of consciousness, I would say, in the predators, 
rather than the predated. But uh, but yeah, exactly what you said about not a suitable vehicle for self consciousness, self realization. Yes. yes. So that's why I think every bodily vehicle is an instrument of a, a soul or a conscious self, as I prefer to call it. Um, and it's the human vehicle that has the ability to take us beyond the world of matter. Uh, the dinosaur body will, it may give you an advantage, give a conscious self an advantage like you said, a, a predator like Tyrannosaurus Rex is going to have an advantage over the predated and will have, you could say, a superior position on the material level of reality. But uh, that's not the ultimate goal. So, therefore, I think uh, sometimes you'll see dinosaurs and sometimes not because they're, they're not the suitable vehicle for achieving the actual purpose of conscious existence. But to get back to your original question, which we talked about, about a little before we started the actual show is what might have happened to these creatures uh, if they hadn't become extinct at the end of the Cretaceous period, if they had perhaps developed further. I think they could have developed into a, a human-like form uh, I think that's possible the Vedic writings the Puranas speak about a race of reptilian humanoid creatures called Nagas they're usually depicted in sculpture and art from ancient times as having a human-like upper body and a serpent-like lower body. And they apparently, according to the text, had shape-changing abilities as well. So they had in their residences, which are called subterranean in the Puranas, they had the trappings of an advanced civilization. So I'm not opposed in theory to there being reptilian forms that may have come to a, a very human-like state of intelligence and might have had their own kind of civilization during the Silurian or following periods as Gavin Schmidt and Adam Frank were hypothesizing in their Silurian hypothesis. 
But they made some very important points about what we might expect to find as evidence from such a civilization. They pointed out that we might not see very much in terms of the kinds of evidence archaeologists are normally dealing with. They they pointed out that after uh, a few hundred thousand or even a couple of million years, most of the stuff that we identify as high-tech will be gone. It doesn't last over the geological periods of time of such vastness. Um, they pointed out that you would be very unlikely to find any fossil bones of the creatures or intelligent beings who were responsible for that civilization, nor would you expect to see very much in the way of artifacts. What you might expect to find, they pointed out, would be maybe a thin layer, a thin band of multicolored fragments of something. And if you subjected it to analysis, you might find chemical compounds that don't occur naturally, that could only have been the result of a technological civilization that had the ability to make such alloys or compounds. They also suggested you might find some kind of radioactive uh, radioactive substances resulting from a past nuclear war or uh, nuclear reactor accident. So the kinds of evidence that might remain of such a civilization existing at such a distant time would be there, but they wouldn't be the, the normal types of evidence that archaeologists look for, namely you know, skeletal remains, artifacts, structures, and things like that. Well, uh, just in passing, while I remember, if listeners are interested in the idea of um, intelligent dinosaurs and, and you know how that those species might have evolved, there's a book by Mike McGee called "Who Lies Sleeping." That's "Who Lies Sleeping." Uh, Mike wouldn't be interviewed by me; he was a bit of a mysterious character. I couldn't get him on the show. He didn't have any online presence. I had to I had to write him a letter actually and put it in the post. First time I'd done that in a long time. Uh, but in any event, what you're talking about there, uh, you know, evidence for civilization and the difficulty of detection. Again, this is things that I think that we mentioned at the top of the show about deep time and people not really considering the the effects and the implications of these time periods on on, on these matters. There's also the rarity of fossilization. Uh, you go everywhere, dig up, you find fossils all over the place. But in terms of all of the life forms that have existed, it's probably a very, very tiny snapshot. And there's also the issue of the Earth's surface that is now exposed, for example, that isn't underwater, compared to the portion of the Earth that was exposed uh, versus underwater in, for, for our purposes, the Silurian time period, really quite different. So that also affects our access 
to potential, you know, evidence or, you know, pointers to um, something significant in the past. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And I think that process that you just mentioned, that we're not getting a complete picture of the geological record, is probably, in my opinion, responsible for the apparent progression of uh, species from simple to more complex that's revealed in the fossil record. As you pointed out, the record is not complete, even in its pristine state. Studies have been done by geologists, and this is a standard geological fact, that if you take uh, some sedimentary layers, and it's sedimentary rock in which you find fossils, if you take a sedimentary layer that represents a certain period of time, uh, say 10 million years, What's actually deposited and in the record, it represents anywhere from maybe 10% at, at most to 1% of what should be there if you had the complete record. So you start out with less than 10% of the sedimentary layers being preserved. And then over time, after the layers are deposited, there there's erosion, there's plate tectonics, there's uh, the bottom of the seafloor, things are inaccessible. So that has to be considered. Then you add in that some species are more readily foss fossilizable than others, uh, then you have to consider that. And then you have to consider that different species are represented by greater or lesser populations. Like humans would be a fairly small population related to other species. So when you factor in all those things and you could assume that in the beginning there may have been human beings, there may have been other species, but what will be left in the fossil record, you know, the human beings in the fossil record may not show up until in, in, in uh, significant numbers until you get fairly late in the, in the record. You know, when you consider all these things. So the apparent progression and late progression of species from simple to more complex may be a feature of the nature of the fossil record and the rates of fossilization. And like you were saying also, how much has been looked at so when you factor in all those things, that may be the explanation for the apparent evolutionary progression that's visible to some in the fossil record.
Well, in your pricey of the Silurian hypothesis, you mentioned that you know that these humanoid reptilians in this scenario may have been a substitute for just for humans because scientists don't think that humans could have existed millions of years ago. Uh, you know, you obviously thinking potentially contrary to that. But there's there's two things we're looking at here simultaneously, really, and that is the idea of humans existing millions of years ago, but also the idea of humanoid reptilians. Uh, these are not mutually exclusive. And some of the mythological and, you know, wisdom and spiritual tradition records and accounts that you were speaking about, you know, could indicate um, uh, these, these uh, species existing simultaneously. So it's not kind of one or the other, really, in, in, our, in this thought experiment or this exploration. Yes, uh, you're absolutely correct about that. Uh, as I said, I'm, I'm not opposed to there being humanoid reptilians. I would just say we also have to include the possibility there may have been humans. And I would say about the Silurian hypothesis, they should probably be called humanoid amphibians because I don't think the uh, reptiles came on the scene, according to modern paleontology, until after the Silurian. Well, one thing that's very interesting, thinking again about these wisdom traditions from deep time, is that the, the, the reptilian thing coming up in these traditions again and again from many different backgrounds and many different sources, it seems to be a, such a common theme. Um, I'll refer listeners to an interview I did many years ago with Scott Allen Roberts, about his book, The Secret History of the Reptilians, The Pervasive Presence of the Serpent in Human History, Religion, and Alien Mythos. It's something that comes up time and time again in all sorts of accounts. And also, of course, that's fed into conspiracy theory. I use that term loosely, but the reptilian thing is so pervasive, really, when you start to look at it. Um, and it seems to be everything from, let's say, present day thinking, you know, from a certain angle, but into every era of human history that we has been somewhat accounted for and documented but then of course beyond that in the scenarios that we're talking about so again it lends this credence to the idea of humanoid or otherwise but this other intelligence coexisting whatever the the origins or evolution of of either of the of the species that we're talking about yeah and in the Vedic tradition, as I was mentioning, there are descriptions of reptilian humanoid civilizations existing in what are called the subterranean regions, which can either mean uh, regions of the cosmos below the level of the cosmos that our earthly experiences on, or it could mean within a globe Earth, you know, in the inner regions, uh, the subterranean regions, there are these uh, Nagas, they're called, who are, as I said, depicted with serpent-like lower bodies and human-like upper bodies. There are, there's a civilization they have. And sometimes 
it's stated that they have shape-changing abilities and they would uh, have interactions with humans on the surface or above the subterranean levels. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com.